We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 102 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a massive show for you guys today. Marshawn Lloyd commits to USC. We'll talk the 2020 recruiting class, what it means for the class to pick up the Marshawn Lloyd commitment. Also, a massive recruiting weekend coming up for South Carolina. We'll go over all the visitors for this weekend, talk about some possible Spurs Up uh, for South Carolina. Also, A.J. Lawson announces he's returning to South Carolina for his sophomore season. What it means for Frank Martin's team as they head into this upcoming year. Also, Seventh Woods transferring from UNC, where South Carolina sits amongst him and his final three, what the chances are the Gamecocks land him. Some other news and notes, including a kickoff time being announced, SEC basketball conference opponents announced, and a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks quarterback Phil Petty as we talk about his path to South Carolina his overall career winning back-to-back Outback Bowls, beating Clemson his senior season, and much, much more. Like I said, massive episode for you guys today, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only one that I use, and it's the only one I'd recommend to you guys. They actually have a great ticket rating system where they rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you know exactly what you're paying before before you get it. You know if you're getting a really, really good deal. Or you know if you're kind of getting ripped off in the process, it's so simple. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10 off your first purchase, whether you're going to a South Carolina Gamecock sporting event, concerts, comedy club events, NHL, NBA, NFL, really anything and everything you need tickets to, SeatGeek is going to have that for you guys. Again, they're the only ticket buying app that I would recommend. They're honestly the only one that I use. I'm actually about to go on there and buy my South Carolina Gamecocks football tickets as we speak so again download SeatGeek, use that promo code spurs up that's s-p-r-s-u-p and save ten dollars off your first purchase all right let's get into it Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, as always. What a massive episode we have got today for you guys. I mean, just a huge episode. Probably the biggest that the Spurs Up Show has had since the offseason really kicked in. Obviously, you're thinking to yourself, hey, we're in the offseason, not a lot going on. You know, it's, it's going to be pretty slow news-wise over the next month or two. Absolutely not. A ton to talk about. A ton of great things going on and so much to get into. We're going to obviously start with the huge news that happened that dropped on us on what, on Monday, on Memorial Day? Five-star running back Marshawn Lloyd commits to South Carolina. 
absolutely 110% unexpected. I put this on social media. Me and my brother were in the car. I was on Twitter, saw the news come up. We literally started screaming out of excitement. We could not believe it. Obviously, the running back position has been such a position, uh, such a deficient position for South Carolina, really since Mike Davis left campus. And before then, it was obviously Marcus Lattimore. But Gamecocks, just really out of left field. And again, everyone's just enjoying their Memorial Day holiday, sort of doing what they're doing. You're at the lake, you're at the pool, you're having a cold beverage, whatever. All of a sudden, Marshawn Lloyd drops his commitment video, which was awesome. It was epic. It was about three and a half minutes long. He's wearing the Gamecock shirt. Absolutely crazy. A guy that, I'll be completely honest with you guys, you know, South Carolina was in the mix, but I didn't have high hopes as far as him committing to South Carolina. A guy out of, uh, you know, up from the Northeast, out of Delaware, Maryland, if you will. I know he transferred schools, but just a huge, huge commitment for South Carolina. Absolutely a position of need. Um, People were asking, you know, what do you think the impact of the commitment is? How does it affect? It's huge. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way to put it. Obviously, the more five stars, we know it's Jimmy, Jim, Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's that win football games. And for Marshawn Lloyd to pull the trigger on South Carolina, it's just massive. It's speaking to what Will Muschamp, Brian McClendon, what those guys are building down at South Carolina. Um, when, when you take a look at Marshawn Lloyd, again, he's been compared to Mike Davis, former Gamecocks running back. Obviously, he's 5'9", I believe like 225. I'll say this about Marshawn Lloyd. You know, I'm going I'm to be honest. I, I hadn't watched a ton of Marshawn Lloyd film before he had committed to South Carolina just a couple of days ago. He looks like a grown man, and he's a senior in high school. I mean, this is a built, solid dude. Um, when I look at him on film, he looks like I, – I, I can see where the Mike Davis comparisons come from. He looks like a little bit more of a shifty Mike Davis to me. You know, Mike was um, – Mike had some moves himself, and he definitely had some runs. You think of 2013 against North Carolina where – he broke it out and showed off his speed. He had some moments where he showed off a lot more, I think, shiftiness and moves and maybe he got credit for. But and he was a very much downhill runner, a guy who was going to run you over, a stockier kind of back, you know, that type of player. Whereas Marshawn Lloyd, to me, has that part of his game 100%, but he definitely seems like, to me, a guy that one thing he is not going to go down on first contact. Again, I, I'm not someone that likes to take a ton from high school highlights because – He's not playing against the guys he's going to play in the SEC, but he is simply not a guy that is going to go down on first contact. He's a guy that has a ton of moves, the spin move, the the stiff arm. Um, He's really got it all. I mean, again, there's a reason why this guy is a five-star prospect. So, you know, I see the Mike Davis comparisons. I like the Mike Davis comparisons as far as size, as far as build, as far as makeup's concerned. Um, But I see him being a little bit more of a shifty Mike Davis, uh, an even better Mike Davis, if you will. Um, again, he's not a guy that's going to go down on first contact. I think he's going to be, be an immediate playmaker at South Carolina, immediate impact-type player, if you want. Again, this is a position of need for South Carolina. I'm sure that was something they sold to him. Obviously, Marshawn picking the Gamecocks over Georgia, Penn State, Clemson, um, a lot of other big-time schools, obviously. I mean, it should not be undersold how big of an impact, how big of a pickup this is for the Gamecocks, no doubt. Again, at a position of need. We've talked about all offseason for this season how South Carolina – you know, their biggest position, in my opinion, to fill is running back. And um, you can argue, you know, they brought guys in the last two classes. You think of the Deshaun Fenwicks, the Kevin Harrises, the Levante Valentines that are solid players. But this is the type of guy you need to get, a Marshawn Lloyd, a, a Tank Bigsby, if you will. But getting a guy like Lloyd, huge, huge for South Carolina. I know something that came so far to left field. It was something that was so unexpected. Again, especially when you're dropping the news on Memorial Day like he did. Um, it just, just massive. I mean, you cannot understate how big of an impact it is for South Carolina. And again, I think he's a guy when he steps on campus, I'm not sure if he'll be an early enrollee or what the situation there is, but 
he's a guy, if this commitment sticks, which I'm thinking, you know, obviously hoping it will, this is a guy that's going to have an immediate impact at South Carolina and be, I think, one of the next great ones if possibly. I mean, South Carolina, you think they've only had two running backs drafted, I think, in the last 12 years or so. That's Mike Davis and Marcus Lattimore. And I think getting the guys like the Marshawn Lloyds of the world is going to change that stat around for South Carolina. I think, you know, Will Muschamp and Brian McClendon certainly have seen that even if you have a solid quarterback, because we we've given Jake Bentley a lot of hell, but if you don't have a running game to go with it, if you don't have an SEC, elite SEC-level running back at that position, you're going to make it very, very, very tough on your quarterback to have any type of success. And I think they realize that is a player, that is an area that they've got the quarterbacks. You've got the quarterbacks in the quarterback room, the Holinskys, the you know, Luke Doty, the on Joyner. You've got those guys. You've got those guys. Now you need to get them some help. Get them a running back. And I think that uh, – you know, when, when you think of the possibilities, when you think of a backfield that consists of, you know, Ryan Holinsky and or, you know, Luke Doty and on or and or on Joyner, and you think of Marshawn Lloyd back there, you think of possibly maybe if Tank Bigsby wants to follow, you think of Mike Wyman and Ortre Smith and Shai Smith. I mean, it, it's really fun to project and think about this offense and what is the potential to be. And, again, I think this just goes to the testament of Will Muschamp, his staff, the hard work they're putting in on the recruiting trail again just a massive pickup a massive massive pickup that we're going to continue to talk about I'm going to continue to break down um big time pickup for the Gamecocks what does it mean for the 2020 recruiting class obviously let's let's break that down a little bit obviously Gamecocks move up to 18th nationally sixth in the SEC which those numbers don't sound overwhelming but Gamecocks right now the sixth highest star rating in the country Gamecocks only have seven verbal commitments for 2020 so not very many um, but Gamecocks right now, sixth highest star rating at 92.78. They're behind Clemson, Bama, UGA, Ohio State, and LSU. So South Carolina, while they're not as high, if you will, in the national ranking, it's simply because they don't have as many commitments. They've only got seven. Um, but what you need to know about those seven they have, they are very, very, very high-quality players. Um, to have the star rating, they have a 92.78. Um, and to be right there in the mix with those teams, like I mentioned, Clemson, Bama, UGA, um, Ohio State, LSU, I mean, Clemson, Bama, UGA, three teams the Gamecocks play and three teams the Gamecocks are trying to beat. Um, so it, it cannot be understated how big it is. Gamecocks are, you know, quality over quantity, I guess you could say. Obviously, they're, they're going to fill up the class and the numbers are going to even themselves out. But this 2020 class, you got to be very, very excited about it. I know it's early on. Guys have got to stick. Guys have got to sign their, uh, their letters of intent, stuff like that. That's why you, you guys know I, I'm not one to – I've never been one in my life to follow recruiting religiously just because the sense that kids can flip-flop things can change it doesn't really mean a whole lot to me until they sign the dotted line but you have to like where you're positioning yourself right now uh, if you're South Carolina let's stick to recruiting like I mentioned very recruiting heavy show today because the Gamecocks have a massive massive recruiting weekend coming up this weekend which Will Muschamp alluded to if you listen to last week's show and I talked about my day caddying for Will Muschamp he certainly mentioned that the game the Gamecocks had a humongous recruiting weekend coming up, and it's this weekend. Um, some of the guys who are supposed to be on campus, uh, five-star defensive end Jordan Birch, four-star running back Tank Bigsby, four-star defensive end Miles Murphy, four-star lineman Josh Braun. These are possible. They're not confirmed, but four-star D-line Alex Huntley, four-star D-line Tonka Hemingway, three-star running back Jameer Gibbs. Um, and then I got three-star defensive back Dominic Hill, three-star offensive lineman Jaston Turnantine, and then guys that are actually already committed that will be on campus, four-star quarterback Luke Doty, four-star O-lineman Isaiah Walker, four-star wide receiver Mike Wyman, four-star linebacker Muhammad Kaba, three-star uh, three Tyshawn Wanamaker, and three-star wide receiver Daquan Bobo-Stewart. 
So obviously, anytime you have that many highly talented uh, football players on campus, it's going to be a massive recruiting week. And again, you list, you think of the guys and you hear the guys that I just mentioned that are not committed. Jordan Birch, Tank Bigsby, Miles Murphy, Josh Braun, Alex Huntley. I mean, you're talking about guys that are humongous, humongous targets for South Carolina and will be big-time difference makers, supposedly, if they can get them. Obviously, the guy you mentioned at the top is Jordan Birch, a guy that right now – it, you know, it's it's kind of weird. He is projected to go to Clemson. Uh, he's projected to go to Clemson, but he has taken, I think, three times as many visits to South Carolina as to Clemson. So either it means one of two things. The, so, the so-called experts don't know what they're talking about, or South Carolina is just saying, you know what, screw it. We are going to recruit, recruit, recruit this kid as hard as we can. We, went, we want him on campus as much as we possibly can, and we're going to flip this kid. And, and, I mean, you have to – I mean, that's, that's what you have to do if you're in a situation like that. I mean, Jordan Birch, I think, is a huge target for South Carolina. I think it's a target they need to get if you really want to show that you're making the strides in recruiting and you're winning back the state in recruiting and you're trying to push Clemson, Georgia, those other big guys. Jordan Birch is the kind of guy you need to get. He's the kind of guy you need to lock down. Um, I love seeing Tank Bigsby come on campus. I still think, even with Marshawn Lloyd, I think getting Tank Bigsby is still a huge priority. I think of almost Lloyd and Bigsby of being maybe the, the thunder and lightning, if you will. I know that's not something that's maybe preferred by players nowadays because guys want to play immediately in the, the grad transfer market. But I still think if you can convince those two guys to be on campus at the same time, a backfield with Lloyd and Bigsby it would be a game changer for South Carolina something we have not seen in a long, long time. Gamecocks have not had the kind of depth at running back you really need since, really since the 2013 season, I would say. I mean, even 2014, it was really just the Mike Davis show. Um, so I think, again, obviously a huge recruiting weekend for South Carolina. I would, I would be surprised if we didn't see a commitment come out of this weekend. I know one of the guys, Miles Murphy, the defensive end, four-star defensive end that's coming on campus, he's talked about South Carolina as he's leader. He, didn't, he actually didn't even rule out uh, committing this weekend. So I would not be – I mean, you never know what's going to happen, but I, I'd be surprised there, if there's not a Spurs up coming from Will Muschamp at some point this weekend. So very, very big weekend for the, the future of Gamecock football, no doubt, when you have that many talented guys on your campus. Um, Gamecocks have a huge, huge chance to make a big-time impression this weekend on some guys that – you know, could continue to turn the program around, if you will. I don't want to say that like South Carolina's in some rebuilding mode right now or anything, but continue to build the program, continue to get South Carolina back to where they were 2010 to 2013, to get South Carolina back to being one of the elite level teams in college football. Um, let's move to some basketball stuff. It's a lot of basketball news as well. Like I mentioned, Pack Pack showed today. Crazy how much stuff is going on right now. Um, Gamecocks basketball got some fantastic news from one of its best playmakers, A.J. Lawson, who entered his name into the NBA draft to test the draft waters, if you will. He announced he's returning to school. Um, wasn't shocked by this. I mean, anyone that understood the process, if you will, how guys can enter their names, see where they're going to be picked, just kind of mess around with the process. Um, I, I thought he would come back, but it's obviously always very scary when a guy like A.J. Lawson, who is sort of your dude, your dude you need, and if he were to leave, it would really derail a lot of the hopes you have for the next season. It's very scary when that happens. So, A.J. Lawson officially announcing he's returning to school. I know a lot of Gamecock fans, myself included, took a deep, deep sigh of relief um, when they saw the news. I think it's huge for Frank Martin's team. I think it's huge for 
the 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 future of South Carolina basketball. I mean, listen, if, if AJ Lawson were to leave, all the questions surrounding this team, you kind of almost feel like you're going back to the drawing board, if you will. But I listen, I, I think the return of AJ Lawson could mean huge things for South Carolina. I mean, I've again I've been as you know, Frank Martin's tenure at South Carolina has been very interesting. Um, this will be a very pressure-packed season, in my opinion, just as far as to show some progress, especially with Lawson returning, to show some progress, to make the tournament, um, to make a postseason tournament. doesn't have to be the NCAA tournament, although that would be the one preferred, obviously. But, uh, no, I, I expect Lawson 100% to come at have a massive year. I mean, he was, he was just so good as a freshman. Um, obviously, this team's biggest question is how do you replace Chris Silva that's going to be the biggest question for this team. But overall, I expect A.J. Lawson to have a massive, massive year for South Carolina. I think he, he, he automatically, you know, his return, if you will, he automatically makes this team a team to put in the dark horse conversation as far as a bubble team for the NCAA tournament, in my opinion, no doubt. I know Frank Martin has got to be ecstatic. Um, you know, and it's just great news for South Carolina basketball. I mean, again, for this guy to come back, because too many times in the history of South Carolina Gamecocks, whether it's basketball, baseball, you know, football, obviously, we've seen guys leaving early. A lot of times it doesn't go well. And to see A.J. Lawson make that decision to come back, I know is a huge sigh of relief for Gamecock fans and something that, listen, is going to make a big impact. It's going to make it – will he stay after this next season? I don't know. But for this immediate season, it's going to make a huge impact. Because, again, I, I really do think – I mean, we're, we're far away from basketball. But I, I really do think South Carolina has the potential to be a tournament team. If they can find a way to replace – to piece together and replace the production they got from, from Chris Silva – I mean, A.J. Lawson's a guy that can absolutely carry a basketball team. I mean, he almost did it as a true freshman. So, expecting really, really big things out of A.J. Lawson. I think everyone made the right decision. I think he made the right decision. I think all parties, um, it was smart of him to test the waters, and I think it's smart of him to come back. I think he can definitely get better as a player overall. But, yeah, huge news for the Gamecocks. Huge news if you're a Gamecocks basketball fan, for sure. Um, sticking with basketball news, uh, another guy is transferring – um, not from the Gamecocks, though, possibly to South Carolina. Seventh Woods from North Carolina, the, lo- the, uh, the local Columbia product. I know a guy that a lot of Gamecock fans thought should have came to South Carolina High School, went to UNC instead. He is transferring. South Carolina is amongst his final three. Um, he has South Carolina, Gonzaga, and Michigan. I will tell you guys um, from a source of mine, a guy that I text, you know, I've, I've heard good things. I've heard good things that there is a very, very, very good chance Seventh Woods is coming to South Carolina. Um, will it happen? We'll have to wait and see. I'm not hundred percent sure, obviously, but through, again, through things that I've heard through my sources, there is a very, very good chance that seventh woods is coming to South Carolina. That would be a massive, massive pickup for the Gamecocks. A guy that again, you know, a local, a local product, a, a kid that I'm think I, I'm, I'm sure you could certainly argue should have came to South Carolina at a high school, no doubt. Um, but did not. But a guy that hasn't really done a lot at UNC, it'll be, it would be interesting to see what his production would be like at South Carolina because he'd certainly get the playing time. Um, I think that was one thing at North Carolina, didn't get a ton of playing time. I mean, he, hasn't, he hasn't dazzled or done anything crazy while he was at UNC. But, I mean, a guy that to go to UNC, you've got to be a pretty darn good basketball player. So, you know, Seventh Woods, again, the Gamecocks competing with Gonzaga and Michigan. Will they get him? Again, my sources tell me there's a very, very good shot for South Carolina to land him. But – you know, overall, it's a wait-and-see game fuel. But I think a guy that would make an immediate impact, huge impact, and South Carolina could certainly use him um, for this season and beyond, obviously. I, mean, I think a guy actually would have to sit out this year. But just overall for the South Carolina Gamecocks basketball program, um, to get seventh, wood, seventh Woods on campus, in my opinion, would be massive for South Carolina. 
Um, let's move to some more football news. South Carolina, Bama kickoff time is announced. Gamecocks will take on the Crimson Tide at 3.30 on CBS on September the 14th. I know fans are just ecstatic about that 3.30 kickoff. It should be about 70, 75 degrees. You know, real real, uh, real tolerable day for football in Columbia. No, it's going to be 1,000 degrees that day. But to no surprise, in my opinion, I mean, South Carolina, Bama, you look at the conference schedule that day, too. The only other conference game is – Florida, Kentucky. So I would have loved if South Carolina Bama would have been a night game, but CBS has the initial rights to those games, and it does not shock me at all. They pick South Carolina Alabama for the 330 primetime game. Certainly gives South Carolina the stage the opportunity to make, you know, make a statement, make a splash, pull an upset, you know, play Bama close, put a scare into Alabama on the national stage. I think it's uh you know, it's obviously a great opportunity. Again, you, you go on national TV, you've got to make sure you show up, play your best game, and, you know, give Bama give Bama hell for four quarters, see what happens. But overall, Gamecocks, again, getting that 3.30 CBS game. We all remember the last time South Carolina played Alabama in Williams-Rice Stadium at 3.30 on CBS 2010. We all know the story behind that. And our good buddy Steven Garcia, what he did to the Crimson Tide. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, expecting a – Expecting, if nothing less, a raucous atmosphere. South Carolina should be 2-0 and entering the game. Obviously, Bama will be undefeated entering the game as well. Will the Gamecocks be ranked? I think there's a chance they could slip in 24-25. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, just very exciting to get that national TV game for sure on CBS. But, yeah, it will be a hot one. It will be a hot one in Williams-Brice. I think of last year's Georgia game. It will be a hot one. Start drinking your water. Now, who am I kidding? Let's drink some beers and whatever. Nobody's going to listen to that anyways. I, it reminds me last year when they were trying to tweet out drink your waters and stuff, and people were like, we're, we're going we're gonna to turn up for the game. And I can't blame you. Do so. Because I'd love to see a raucous Williams-Brice for that game, obviously. Um, some other basketball news, some scheduling stuff. SEC basketball conference opponents announced. Um, just kind of want to take a look at these because it's sort of fun. Gamecocks at home next season will have – Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, LSU, Mississippi State, Missouri, Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt. On the road, Gamecocks will take on Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Georgia, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt. Overall, pretty good slate. Obviously, they haven't announced the actual schedule. The home slate, though, is very attractive. You've got Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, LSU, Mississippi State, um, Tennessee, you know, pretty good home slate. So if you're a Gamecocks fan trying to get the Colonial Life Arena, do so. There's a lot of – there's going to be a lot of good basketball games played uh, played in Columbia this year. Really nice. You've got Kentucky at home. Really nice. You've got Florida at home. Obviously, you go you play Georgia at home and go to there as well. Um, so, yeah, so obviously a very, very attractive schedule conference-wise for South Carolina basketball um, this upcoming season. All right. Let's get into some listener questions. Got a ton of listener questions. Um, really do appreciate you guys kind of tuning in, putting in your questions. Got a lot to talk about, obviously, like I said. Capped underscore way. Let's go ahead and get into it. Opinion on Marshawn Lloyd's potential and what does it mean for the 2020 recruiting class? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, like I, I said, assuming the commitment sticks, he signs his letter of intent, Marshawn Lloyd has an opportunity to be one of the best running backs in South Carolina history, you have to imagine, right? I mean, I – I don't want to jump the gun with this guy and go too far or anything, but let's just say he has the opportunity to and the potential to come in and be a feature back. I mean, to be one of the best backs in the SEC, to be a guy that, you know, gives something South Carolina hasn't had since the Mike Davis era, since the Mike Davis days, which is a consistent, hard-nosed guy you can hand the football to 20, 25 times a game. What does it mean for the 2020 recruiting class? I mean, obviously it's huge. Anytime you get a five-star player, 
it's, I mean, it's, it's massive. I mean, you, you can't understate how big that is. Like I said, Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. Players win football games. I mean, you can, you can coach guys up all you want, and I, I really do believe that there are coaches, you know, I think of Steve Spurrier when he first got to South Carolina, they can take players that maybe aren't quite as good and scheme them up and coach them up and win games and beat teams you aren't supposed to. And I definitely believe coaches can do that because I, I we've talked about already this year that Will Muschamp needs to get a signature win, and he's going to have to beat somebody better than him. You know, I, I think that's, you know, it happens all the time. But to be truly an elite-level program, to compete for nat- SEC titles, national titles, on a consistent basis or really at all, you need the players. You need the players. So to get a guy – as many five stars as South Carolina can get is going to be beneficial for South Carolina. I mean, to get a guy, again, like Marshawn Lloyd, over the guys they got him, Georgia, Clemson, Penn State, everybody in the country wanted this guy. Everybody in the country wanted this guy. So for South Carolina to out-recruit all those guys and get him, it's massive. You can't understate the impact that it has on the uh, the 2020 recruiting class and beyond as well recruiting for South Carolina. Um, that Bolton boy, good question here. Release date on the Spurs Up koozies. Or second gen stickers with the new logos and stuff. It'll be coming this summer. Don't have a release date. I promise you guys are going to know, obviously. Um, but koozies and stickers are a hundred percent something that is happening, along with new merch as well, hats and stuff. Hit some, uh, hit some bumps, bumps in the road, if you will, where that stuff has been kind of pushed aside. But I can a hundred and ten percent promise you, it is not forgotten. It's something I want to do. It's something I'm going to do. It's not something I want to do. It's something that's going to happen. The Spurs Up show. We're going to put out koozie stickers, some other fun stuff. Got a ton happening over this summer. It's going to be grind mode for your boy getting ready for football season as everybody else does as well. Stay tuned. I promise you, you guys will 100% know when it drops, when it happens. Uh, I will let everybody know. So uh, that will 100% be coming. So stay on the lookout. Um, J.S. Jerry, can you find Rashad Faison and interview him? All-time game, favorite Gamecock. Uh, we'll definitely look into that. You know, obviously we've had some big-time guests and guys that are South Carolina legends. Rashad Faison is certainly a name. Appreciate you bringing his name up. And, I, I, hey, I will do my best. If, he's a, if he is on social media somewhere, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever, I will shoot my shot in the DMs. People, it's funny. People ask me, how do you get these guests on? Shoot your shot in the DMs, man. Shoot your shot in the DMs. Um, Taylor underscore Dively. What's up, Taylor? Appreciate you leaving a question. Not a question, but based on talent, there's no reason we shouldn't beat UNC by three scores. So if you guys didn't know or didn't see, shame on you if you didn't, because we're starting to do our uh, 2019 opponent previews, which is something really fun where we dive into who South Carolina is playing, sort of their best player, their depth chart, what they did a season ago. So Gamecock fans have an idea of what South Carolina is going up against. Did North Carolina's today or yesterday, whenever you're listening to this, obviously, um, basically previewed North Carolina, went over their schedule, went over their, or excuse me, their roster, if you will, um, what they have coming back. And I will tell you guys this, Taylor, you make a good point because North Carolina is not a very good football team. I know there's a lot of optimism. I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of new life in that program because of the return of Mac Brown to their program who led them to prominence back in the late 80s and the 90s, you know, if you will, a couple top 10 finishes, stuff like that. But overall, I mean, you take a look at, what South Carolina has coming back and what North Carolina has on their roster. I mean, there's a very, very good chance North Carolina is starting a true freshman in that football game at quarterback. Um, Michael Carter's a guy I highlighted. He averaged seven yards per carry last year as a true freshman. Obviously a guy who can, who can make plays with the football in his hands. But Will Muschamp and T-Rob have got to be licking their chops going up against North Carolina week one against a young quarterback, an offensive line that was suspect at best, 
Um, in a defense, they gave up almost 35 points per game. Um, the spread has already come out. Uh, I forget who put the spread out, but Gamecocks are right at a seven or seven and a half point favorite. You know, I know fans are coming off the Virginia game, which South Carolina played an ACC opponent, and people have said, well, we thought we were going to beat Virginia real bad, and look what happened. I, I want to caution fans the one thing. Virginia is a program on the rise, a team on the rise. They had a dynamic playmaker at quarterback and Bryce Perkins and a defense that was better than I think we all expected. This North Carolina team, I think, has neither one of those things. So, yeah, early indication, not exactly a prediction, if you will, but I'm fully expecting South Carolina to win that game by double digits. I think it'd be disappointing if they don't. I think three scores may be a little much simply because it's an opener. Um, but, yeah, I mean, overall, I, I just – if South Carolina were to lose, and I don't even want to speak this into existence, but if South Carolina were to lose in North Carolina, it would be a 100, a 1,000 million times worse of a loss than that Virginia game ever was. Not even a question asked. So – Taylor, I don't disagree with you, South Carolina. You should feel good about it. You should feel good about that game. South Carolina absolutely 100% should win that game, in my opinion. They have more talent. They've got better players overall. They've got more experience at all the key positions. No excuse for South Carolina not to win that game. And honestly, if they'd win it by less than double digits, I'll be a little concerned going through the rest of the season, to be completely honest with you. Um, All right, J.K. Gill, 34. So, English and Perez are out. He's talking about Jacob English and Quentin Perez from the baseball team. Who else leaves, you think? I was thinking Neville, Holiday. Yeah, I, I've talked about this before. I, I think I will be absolutely floored if Nick Neville's on the roster next year. And it's no hate for the guy. I don't, I don't dislike the kid. But this season, you obviously saw SEC baseball completely overwhelmed him. I, there's just no other way to put it. He was – you know, it's funny. After that opening weekend, I think he was leading South Carolina in hitting. He was hitting like four, hitting over 400. And I remember specifically talking on the Daily Crow how excited I was about Nick Neville and the prospects of him playing shortstop. Is he the next great South Carolina shortstop? And, I mean, he completely – I don't think I've ever seen a guy go as ice cold as he did. Um, so, definitely Neville. Holiday is an interesting one to keep an eye on. Not 100% sure if he'll leave or not. Beyond those two guys, I mean, listen, it's really a crapshoot. You really never know who's going to leave. I was surprised a little bit by Quentin Perez. I understand he's not a big-time elite SEC-type player, but he did some good things for South Carolina. He gave South Carolina some good at-bats. He gave him some good defensive plays in the field. And, you know, I I was a little little surprised to see him leave. Um, Jacob English surprising so much only because his brother was a stud at South Carolina, but overall I think he's he's wanting to go somewhere where he can play consistently, obviously play every day, which you got to tip your cap to respect him for that, no doubt. Um, but, yeah, definitely Neville Holiday, I think, are two good candidates, probably guys that will leave. But other than that, you know, it's just kind of wait and see. I could see some guys leaving from the back of the bullpen. I'm not sure if Gage Henson was a senior or not. But there, there are definitely – listen, you don't even have to name them by name. There are definitely some guys in the South Carolina baseball program that as South Carolina, as Mark Kingston, those guys bring in more talent, they're going to force those other guys out because – there were simply some guys that played for South Carolina this year that I just don't think are SEC level kind of guys. Just I don't think that that's not talking bad on them. That's not you know anything personal to them. But it's it just it is what it is, man. They're just not elite level SEC guys, and I think that's something that Mark Kingston even even recognized during the season when he was just talking about, hey, like we don't have the guys, we don't have the horses to beat the guys they're throwing out there. So, um, but yes, I would a hundred percent expect there to be more turnover in the South Carolina baseball roster. No, no question. Um, Adam B, or excuse me, Adam H B Murphy. 
Do you think Kevin Harris will be used in goal line or third down and short situations? He certainly should be a candidate for it, in my opinion. Um, I mean, the guy's a bowling ball, man. When you look at all the highlights and look at his build, I mean, he he's a guy that you feel like if he cannot get you a yard, I don't know who can get you a yard. <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess you could say Mon Denson, they're built similarly, but Kevin Harris is even bigger than Mon Denson. I mean, how much – how much Kevin Harris will play, I don't know how they're going to go about the running backs this year. I've got this weird feeling Rico Dowdle is most likely going to be your starter once again. Um, hopefully a healthy Rico Dowdle, obviously. But, you know, I think it'll be mainly Mon Denson, you know, getting the bulk of the other carries. Um, you know, I'm not sure how much Kevin Harris will honestly play at all. Um, I would certainly hope he's going to use up the four games he can play in, but – you know, I think that's going to be kind of a wait-and-see thing. Obviously, again, he's got the build for it. He's got the size. He, that, that's the style of runner he is, a fourth down, a goal line, a third and short type guy. If they're going to use him, I think that's certainly the way they need to use him. But I think it's sort of just wait-and-see here. But I 100% agree with you, man. I, I think that's the way they need to use him and would love to see him on the field just because, again, we talked about the struggles South Carolina's had at the running back position. Give somebody else a chance, man. I'd love to see it. Um John underscore Wilgus underscore IV. How do you think Marshawn's commitment will affect other recruits? Snowball effect. Um, it, it certainly does seem to be that way in recruiting, you know, because here's the thing. Good players, they want to play with other good players. So when you see – and I think you can't even undersell the, the impact of guys like Ryan Holinsky, Luke Doty, Mike Wyman, like Zach Pickens, like these big-time guys coming. Because I think the hardest – the, the hardest five-star commitment to get is the first one. Committing that first guy to come in and be the guy, the tone setter, the guy that, that lays the groundwork, if you will. Because um, when you're winning 10, 11, 12 games a year, you're going to national titles, it's easy to get a five-star guy to come to your school. No doubt. It's easy to recruit, period. So I think recruiting in general is a snowball effect. I mean, when you're able to get good players, you're able to get more good players, and you know now you're talking to recruits, hey, you're going to play alongside Ryan Holinsky and Luke Doty and to carry on Joiner. Look at all these offensive line commitments we've got. The, the signees, the guys we have on campus, like it all builds on itself. There is no question; it all builds on itself in recruiting. Um, the one that I'm very intrigued to see what it means for is Tank Bigsby. I'm very interested to see what it means because I've had people saying, "Oh, how do you think this affects the Tank Bigsby stuff? Will he still come to South Carolina?" Like, I, you know, it depends on where the kids head at as far as I mean, they they. They've obviously got a plan. They're going to have they, – they, they no doubt have a plan. If they just – they just got the Lloyd commitment. They've got a plan for Tank Bigsby, what they're going to tell him this weekend on campus. They, they obviously want him. So, I mean, again, I, I'm in the party that, you know, and I hate to think of, you know, I hate to even bring that team from the upstate in, into this conversation. But when you think of, like, James Davis, C.J. Spiller, when you think of Marcus Lattimore, Mike Davis, like – you need more than one running back. I mean, look at Georgia. They're just putting out guys left and right. You need more than one good running back in the backfield. That's what I would tell Tank Bigsby. Like, listen, you, you need depth. Like, we want to get both you guys 15, 20 carries a game. Like, I think we think you can be that thunder and lightning, that, that, those type of guys. Look at, look at what Nick Chubb, Chubb and Sony Michelle did at Georgia. I mean, it happens all over the country. So, I, I don't think that's going to so much even affect it. I'm curious, though, how that's going to play out now. But – I still think getting Tank Bigsby is a massive priority for the South Carolina team, no doubt. And, again, I'm just very interested to see how it plays out. Again, from things I've heard from sources, South Carolina is sitting very well with Tank Bigsby. And 
I'll be honest, I wouldn't be surprised to see him commit. Uh, you know, I, again, I'm not in the kid's head. I don't know how the Marshawn Lloyd thing affects him mentally, what he's thinking. Is he questioning South Carolina now? But I, I like to believe they, they – I know for a fact they have a plan, and they're going to make that clear this weekend. And there's nothing wrong with platooning. Having to, you need two guys. You need two running backs. You need depth at that position, no doubt. And, man, to have Marshawn Lloyd and Tank Bigsby in, in, the, same, in the same running back room alone would be just – I mean, just what the doctor ordered for South Carolina. It's been way too long since South Carolina had, South Carolina's had guys like that in their backfield. Um, all right, cool. Like I mentioned earlier, got a fantastic interview. I mean, one of the best quarterbacks in South Carolina history was able to sit down and chat with Phil Petty, talk so much about his South Carolina Gamecocks career. So many great memories, so many great games. One of the toughest quarterbacks, in my opinion, too, that played at South Carolina. And someone that I know fans adore as well, you know, led South Carolina really out of the depths of the 0-11 season of back-to-back Outback Bowl wins before the Spurrier era was the most successful era in Gamecocks football. Great interview, like I mentioned. It's brought to you again by our friends over at SeatGeek. If you're going to be buying tickets to concerts, comedy club events, festivals, anything you're going to this summer, obviously it's slow in sports. You can go to a Major League Baseball game if you want. Get your tickets pre-ordered for NFL, college football. Go to NHL, the Stanley Cup, if you want to go, whatever. But anything you're getting your tickets to, go download our friends at SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. I'm trying to save you guys some money. Use that promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10. Again, they're the best ticket buying app by far and the only one I use. Again, they're going to rate the tickets for you. They literally do all the work for you so you know the type of deal you're getting. You're going to always make sure you're not overpaying for tickets. Um, It's really that simple. So, again, download SeatGeek. Go to SeatGeek.com, whatever you want to do, but use that promo code SPURSUP. It's S-P-U-R-S-U-P to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks quarterback Phil Petty. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played quarterback for the Gamecocks from 1998 to 2001. He ranked seventh all-time in passing yards with 5,656. He also led South Carolina to -to back-to-back Outback Bowl wins in both 2000 and 2001. I am very, very excited to welcome to the show one of the best quarterbacks in South Carolina history, Phil Petty. Phil, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here, man. I look look forward to it, and uh, good uh, good to be here. Absolutely. So let's kind of start, Phil, with the beginning with you. Obviously, you're a kid out of Bowling Springs, played your football at Bowling Springs High School. Um, a guy that I guess you could say was a little bit lightly recruited, if you will, for the career that you had. Just kind of talk about sort of your upbringing throughout high school football and the, what the recruiting process was like for you and what eventually led you to come play for South Carolina. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I started getting recruited early by a couple of big schools and uh, it actually picked up, you know, the recruiting was different then. You know, you didn't have the star rating and all that. Um, but yeah, I was offered early. Actually, Clemson was the first school to offer me, uh, then East Carolina, then North Carolina, then Tennessee, and then South Carolina uh, with a lot of other people after that. But, I mean, it was an interesting recruiting process. I only took three official visits. I went to Chapel Hill. I went to Knoxville and then obviously Columbia. I took a couple unofficial, uh, some other places. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, – you know, I grew up a, a Gamecock fan. Uh, you know, that was where my heart was. And so for me, you know, there was never really a doubt where I was going to go to college. No doubt. So you get on campus, obviously, 1998, different coach than uh, finished up your tenure, obviously, was Brad Scott. Um, you are the backup to a guy we just had on the podcast, Anthony Wright. Just that freshman oh, yeah. season for you, obviously, you got some playing time, played in 10 games. You sort of platooned with uh, with Anthony there. You know, you threw for over 600 yards, threw seven touchdowns that year, actually – 
Um, just sort of talk about kind of what the transition was like for you going from high school football to college football and then having, you know, really in a big role that you had your freshman year. Yeah, you know, I was fortunate that I didn't lose my red shirt uh, when, a, when A1 got hurt uh, my first year. Um, and then my, my second year, my red shirt freshman year, you know, he and I split time. And, and actually toward the end of the season, I ended up, I would say, playing more, you know, more time than A1 did. And, and you know, he, he and I, he was great. I mean, he and I got along great. He we, we was, you know, was great to learn from. We kind of, you know, we, we, we really learned a lot from each other, I think, to be quite honest. But uh, uh, he was a talent, golly, uh, really good player. But uh, it was, you know, hey, college is bigger, faster, stronger. I mean, that's the, the three words I would use. I mean, it, you know, everything happens a lot quicker. And, you know, from high school to college, just like college to the NFL, that transition's huge. And, and um, but it was invaluable experience, you know, and even though it was Coach Scott's last year, I mean, there was a lot of changes coming, but it was still great experience moving forward. For sure. What what would you say your experience or I guess relationship was like with uh, with Coach Brad Scott, if any? Yeah, you know, he was great to me. Like I said, he recruited me. He offered me, you know, uh, you know, it was my dream to play at South Carolina. He gave me that opportunity. I had a lot of other opportunities, but that was where I wanted to go play college football. And so he gave me that opportunity and, you know, and, and, and he didn't waste my red shirt uh, when he, you know, he played Vic uh, Penn and uh, the year before, which I was kind of grateful for, even though I was kind of anxious to go ahead and play as a true freshman. But, you know, he saved that and said, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this one day. And I certainly did. And, you know, Coach Scott was always very good to me. No doubt. So obviously Coach Scott, his South Carolina career, South Carolina coaching career comes to an end after the 1998 season. Um, Lou Holtz was introduced as head coach at South Carolina, which was obviously a very huge deal. A guy coming in, a Hall of Fame caliber head coach, a guy who had won a national championship. And that, that was a very, very big get for South Carolina. What do you remember yeah. about your first interactions with Coach Holtz once he got the job? Yeah, the, a little overwhelming. I mean, yeah, we all were, were like, is he really going to be our next head coach? And then he I remember Mike McGee coming in and introducing him and said, hey, I'm out to, you know, hire the best football coach in, in America. And I, and I did, you know, I just did that. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Coach Holtz comes in. And, you know, you're really kind of in awe because of the Notre Dame thing and national championship. And you're like, well, this is going to be our next head coach. And, you know, it, uh, it was exciting, you know, at the time uh, when he first got there. I mean, certainly we were all kind of, uh, you know, in awe when he first got there. For sure. So, obviously, with A1 leaving, I imagine going into 1999, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you guys went through a bit of a quarterback battle, if you will. Just, you know, kind of talk about what that was like. I, I know Coach Holtz is a, is a pretty – he's a pretty tough head coach. We've heard different stories about his coaching <laughs> style, stuff like that. But I, I'm curious to hear kind of from the quarterback position what it was like to be under yeah. him and what, what battling for a position to start at that spot was. Yeah, and I think anybody would tell you, he's the coach is uh, – he's harder on quarterbacks than he has any other position on the field and he's hard on every position. So, you know, that tells you something, but he's, he's extremely hard on his quarterbacks, um, you know, day to day, week to week, the, the standards always set, it's always there. Um, you know, the accountability, the expectations are always there. So it was a, you know, it was a very demanding position to play for, you know, a coach like that. And, and, uh, you know, coach didn't let up. Uh, he he was he was the same. He was very persistent. I always tell people he's the most persistent person I was ever around. Um, and it was very demanding. And uh, you know, which hey, it paid off. It was good. But uh, certainly the you know the '99 season was a disappointment. But we had a, God, we had a ton of injuries uh, on the offensive line. We had 
uh, at every you know skill position. Defensively, we had some injuries and a uh, very, very tough season. Uh, we lost Troy Hambrick, who was our starting tailback preseason, who probably, you know, truth be told, would have would have won, you know, probably been a difference in three or four games by himself. Um, but, you know, we, we it was a tough season. I mean, you go 0-11, you're not very popular, you know, as a quarterback on any campus in the SEC when you go 0-11. So it was a tough season, but it was, uh, you know, built a lot of character. And, you know, we pushed through that because we were, we were tough guys. So we were – we were ready for it, and we knew what was coming ahead of us. For sure. Like you said, the 99 season was a disappointment. You mentioned the injuries among your offensive line and the toughness of your team. You know, I would argue, you know, Phil, when people, you know, when people ask me, you know, people ask you about Phil Petty, I, the first word I think of is toughness. And, I, you know, I'll be honest, I was born in 1990, so I didn't get to watch the 99 season game by game as it was happening. But everyone that I've right. talked to about that season, either players or people that watch, said, you know, God bless Phil Petty, running for his life. You you took a beating at 99 is what people say. I mean, well, yeah. you know, obviously, again, the season's not going the way you want. Obviously, you're a competitor. Um, it's very, very tough the way the season's going. But how did you stay positive? Because obviously you guys turned it around. And, I mean, what was that 99 season like? Because from what, what it sounds like to me, you took a pretty brutal beating back there behind center. Well, yeah, we all – you know, listen, we all did. You know, it was, it was a tough year. Uh, obviously, it's – and when you win – quarterbacks get too much credit when you lose they get too much of the blame that's just the nature of the, of the game um but listen it was it was tough on all of us and you know we we basically got together you know that off season and said this ain't gonna happen anymore we had a lot of young talent um and we knew we did you know we had a lot of young talented guys and uh we had a great you know really two two classes back to back there uh two signing classes that we knew there was a ton of talent in so you know, we hey, we all bought in. Nobody left. Nobody's going to transfer. Nobody's going to do this. Nobody's going to run. Uh, we we worked hard in the weight room and off season. Uh, we worked hard together. You know, and, and, and drills and and and, and you know, on, on the field stuff that we were allowed to do. And it was it was not easy. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was easy because it wasn't. It was it was it was really tough. And you know, playing in that conference, we knew we had a huge challenge ahead of us. But we also knew we were going to win. And we were going to do whatever it took to win. And uh, and again, we had good coaches, but we had we had really good players. And um, you know, we 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 formed a bond. Um, you know, that ended up being probably, you know, after the next two seasons, you know, two seasons there it was the the best run, second best run in the history of South Carolina. Um, so it um, it took a lot of hard work. It wasn't easy. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that. But we uh, you know we just made our minds up. We were going to do whatever it took to win. No doubt. And obviously the 2000 season starts off with New Mexico State, which, you know, it's funny, college football fans, if you're not a South Carolina fan, you look at that game and the grand scheme of the history of South Carolina football and say, whatever, it's New Mexico State, 31 nothing wins, what you should do. But I imagine for you guys, besides the Clemson game and the bowl games against Ohio State, that probably had to be one of the most fun non-conference wins you'd ever get. I mean, you get the win, tear down the goalposts, yeah. end the losing streak. No. I mean, just kind of talk about the emotions no. behind that one. Yeah, it was. You know, it's uh, it doesn't seem big, but at the point in time, it was huge. Uh, it was huge for us. I think it was it was it was it was also huge for our fans, though. You know, for our student body, for everybody, just for morale, because we had went through an 0-11 season. You know, and and to have that first win under our belt against a decent football team, which they actually were, um, and you know, we went out there and, and handily beat them, and we knew, hey, this is this could be the start of something special. So it was. Uh, you know, it was it was it was a great feeling. It really was. 
For sure. And you mentioned the start of something special. It definitely was that. That season, I believe, going in the 2000, you guys were picked last, picked to be in the cellar of the SEC East. You come mm-hmm. out the following week, the second week, against number 10 Georgia, and all you do is pick mm-hmm. off Quincy Carter five times, get the win 21-10. to 10. <laughs> Obviously, Columbia is a madhouse. Uh, you play well. Your buddy Derek Watson played very well as well. Just kind of talk about, I mean, again, back-to-back weeks, the, the goalposts are torn down at Williams-Brice, and, but this time it's against the Bulldogs. No doubt. D. D Watt played his tail off. Our defense played their butts off. You know, I could name names, but I'd be leaving somebody out. But they just, you know, we we really showed up and and nobody gave us a chance. I mean, we just wanted to, you know, the media was like, hey, just can I keep this game close? And, you know, we really thought going in we were as good as they were, uh, if not better. And we proved that. And, um, you know, we beat them at home and it was, you know, it was crazy. It really was, you know, that. Like I said, it was great for the fans, uh, the people there, and so it was uh, it was something I'll never forget. And um, you know, Quincy struggled a little bit against some things we were doing defensively, and um, and then we were able to move the ball enough offensively and score enough points to win the game. And um, what a great team effort it really was. Yeah, I was gonna say I know you've probably had your rough days at the office of quarterback, Phil, but I feel like did you feel bad at all for Quincy? I mean, five picks in a day is kind of just just pack it up and head home, right? That's that's just not your day at that point. <laughs> no, it's tough, and I've been there. You know, uh, you know, I I think I threw three in one game is the most I've thrown or most I threw. But you know, it it uh, certainly is tough. You feel bad for a guy like that, um, but at the same time, I didn't feel too bad for him because we've been <laughs> to an zero and eleven season before that. So, uh, you know, I was I was more you know consumed with the moment and being around my teammates and enjoying it and. You know, I was just happy for our guys, man. I'm happy for our defense and, you know, the scheme that, that we put in that week, Charlie Strong and those guys, and, and then to see the guys go play and play fast and execute, it was it was uh, truly amazing. Yeah, no doubt. So, like you mentioned, that 0-11 season coming off in 99 and 2000, it's crazy. You look after eight weeks, you guys are sitting at 7-1. and one. I mean, did it did it feel surreal, you know, just to think that one year ago you're 0-11, now you're sitting at 7-1, and one, yeah. right? top 20 yeah. in the country. I mean, that had to be kind of a surreal feeling. No, it was. But, you know, again, we, we, we knew. We, we knew we had good players. And, um, and then, you know, you, you look at the end of it, the end of the 2001 season, you look at who was drafted and or picked up as free agents. I mean, I think we had, I want to say, like, you know, 13 or 14 guys either drafted or signed free agents. So, I mean, you know, we had good – we had talented players. So, we knew we had the opportunity that was there in front of us. Uh, we knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, it was very surreal, but at the same time, you know, we all busted our tails. And, and so it would, you know, in, in our locker room, the media maybe not, but in our locker room, it was, you know, we expected to win. No doubt. So you can't talk about the 2000 season without talking about the South Carolina Clemson game. And I, I just have one simple question for you. I already know what the answer is <laughs> going to be. There's no doubt in your mind that Rod Gardner pushed off, right? There's no doubt. No, he absolutely did. <laughs> yeah, it's on the it's on the front of the state newspaper. If you go back and look at the picture, uh, he's extending his arm uh, and pushing Andre Goodman off. And so, you know, it is what it is. They didn't they didn't make the call, but hey, if they had, we'd have beat them two years in a row. Uh, we got robbed that year, but we took care of business for the following year. Yeah, I was gonna. Obviously, we're gonna get to that 2001 game against Clemson, but I'll just go ahead and ask you. I mean, what are your you know, growing a guy that grew up a South Carolina fan, you're playing quarterback at South Carolina. You know, I feel like really when you're the quarterback at either South Carolina or Clemson, you're really one of the most high-profile people in the state of South Carolina, you know, besides sure. a couple of people. But just 
talk about your experience in the rivalry, being a quarterback in the rivalry, and just what it what it was like. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great rivalry. I will say that it's it's probably you know I tell people this all the time. It's it's really underrated. I don't I don't I think it's right there, you know, with Florida, Florida State, Auburn, Alabama. It, it's up there with all the greatest rivalries, especially in the you know I'll just compare it to the Southeast. Obviously, there's other great rivalries out there, but um, that game, you know, I always tell people it's amazing how hard each team plays. You know, it's fun to watch on TV. It's fun for the fans. But the energy and everything that's laid on that field from both sides is really unbelievable. Um, you know, we were, like I said, we, we probably had more talent than them in my senior year, one, and we barely won the game at home um, because they just, it's, it's, it's just a, you see guys that really, truly, when you hear the word laid on the line, I mean, that's, that's what they do, uh, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, but, but I don't think the fans necessarily – not everybody. Some people do. But, you know, not, not, not all folks truly appreciate uh, what those guys really do during that game because it is truly special and it, it, is, a, it is a different game. For sure. So, I'll ask you, Phil, do, do you wish you could play Ohio State every time you go out on the football field? Because you, you seem like you like to play <laughs> those guys a little bit. <laughs> well, listen, it wasn't just me. It was, uh, you know, a lot of the guys out there making plays and – you know, we were – hey, they were they were a good team, man. That, you know, they had – you know, we played Coopers last year, Trestle's first year. Then they won the national championship the following year. Uh, so, so that tells you they were very talented. Um, you know, I remember being out, you know, in all the functions down there in Tampa and Ybor City and seeing those guys. And I was like, man, this doesn't look good because they were, they were huge. You know, they had big, big guys. I mean, really big linemen. Uh, their linebackers were huge. I mean, they were just a big team, you know, long, lengthy, athletic uh, guys. And and uh, but you know what, we were we were pretty good too. And and uh, man, we just had a we had a bond. We had a together a sense of togetherness. And you know, we had good coaches and and good players. And and we were able to uh, to beat them twice. Not many people can say they're two and zero against them. But uh, you know, I was and my teammates were. And so it was a, it was a beautiful thing. For sure. So I want to talk about that first Outback Bowl. I think I guess it would be considered the 2001 Outback Bowl because it was on New Year's Day. But obviously you played a really good game. The team played a really good game. But the one guy I want to highlight is your teammate, Ryan Brewer, uh, who was named MVP of that game. Obviously there was a lot of talk, him being an Ohio kid. Ohio State didn't want him. Uh, all he did in that game was rush 19 times, 109 yards. He had three catches for 92 <laughs> yards, had a bunch of touchdowns. I mean, talk about, I guess, sort of – because obviously that was a huge storyline leading up to the game. And I mean, it, it obviously caught a ton of fire after the way he played against those guys. And I feel like you could really, really see the chip on his shoulder when he was playing that game. Well, listen, I'm, I've, I've known Ryan a long time. He and I are very good friends to this day. Um, he was a hell of a competitor. Um, he had a chip on his shoulder, you know, obviously for the reasons you just stated. Um, but he's one of the best football players I, I was, you know, ever fortunate enough to play with. And we had some really good ones at South Carolina. And, you know, he's certainly one of the best. And, you know, just the toughness, the grit, uh, the competitiveness, uh, everything, you know, that you want to see in a football player, you know, Brewer, Brewer had. And, uh, you know, he was he was fun. <laughs> it was fun to play with. And uh, so I was I, – I couldn't have been more happy for somebody you know, to see it, see it play out like it did for him. So that it was really special. 
No doubt. So again, you guys pummel Ohio State twenty-four to seven. You finish the season eight and four, five and three in the SEC after going, you know, on a twenty-one game losing streak. How quickly did you guys? I know you guys probably celebrated that, but how quickly? I imagine you guys flipped the switch and looked at the two thousand one season, thinking, "Hey, even bigger and better." You know, not just the Outback Bowl, but possibly winning the SEC East, winning the SEC stuff like that. What were the goals for you guys? Yeah, you know, we ended up playing for the SEC East twice, back-to-back there, and against Florida. And, you know, the East was really good then. People, you know, sometimes they forget that. But Tennessee, you know, Florida and Georgia were really, really good back then. And they're they're getting good again. But, I mean, they were really good then. They were better than the West. And <clears throat> so we knew we had a great challenge ahead of us. But, shoot, we knew we were pretty good, you know. And uh, and we went out and we, we, we kept working hard and obviously playing for a guy like Coach Holtz. I mean, he's quick to remind you you know, that you're not very good, <laughs> you know, so he's, you know, on a, on a, on a day-to-day basis. So you never got too high. I can promise you that we, we never got too high or too low. You know, you kind of keep it in the middle there. That's where reality is somewhere in the middle there. But uh, yeah, we never, never got too high, too low, but uh, we certainly, we certainly came in with that hungry and that humble mentality. Um, you know, we knew we were playing against, you know, the best players in the country and, uh, we knew we had a great challenge ahead of us, and but we knew we had good players coming back. So we just we kept working hard, and and, and good things happened. No doubt. Are are there any Lou Holtz one-liners that you would say stick out to you? Because I, I mean, obviously when he was on College Game Day and or when he was on ESPN, I mean, there were so many. And there's one that I, I think he said this is the if you want to be happy for a day, eat a steak or something. I think he said that on TV once or something. But is there any one-liner that he said specifically that stuck out to you more than anything? Uh, there's, there's so many, I'm not going to go there. Um, I could give you tons and tons, but I'm not going to go there, but my buddies will tell you, I do a pretty good impression. And then, uh, there's, there's a ton, there's a ton of them, but yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there, but he, he certainly had his, he had his, you know, his, his, his speaking one-liners and then he had his team one-liners. They were, they were a little bit different. <laughs> so, uh, I can tell you that, but, uh, yeah, he was, he was, uh, uh, very memorable when it came to all that stuff. So switching gears a little bit, Phil, you know, for your game specifically, obviously you were a guy that could throw the football. I mean, you were a very tough, gritty guy, could run when needed, but you could throw the football. Was it ever tough for you sort of because South Carolina and under Lou Holtz sort of ran in 2000, I remember specifically, ran. it was more of a running team. That's remember specifically you guys being in the wing tee stuff. I mean, really old school type yeah. of offense. And then 2001, you noticed sort of a shift. I mean, I, I remember – Specifically, we're going to get to that Alabama game, but you know, specifically, you guys going in five wides, which was something that you know felt just so brand new for South Carolina. Skip Holt sort of bringing that in. I mean, what what was kind of the evolution of the offense like for you at when you were at South Carolina? Yeah, uh, you know, the after the '99 season, after the '011 season, uh, Skip and Todd Fitch and the staff went to uh, visit Purdue uh, when Drew Brees was there, and we implemented a lot of the spread offense that they were doing at that time. Um, and that was, it was really, you know, it kind of fit my skill set, And so that's what we, we did over 2000. And then it kind of evolved in 2001. And, you know, coach Holtz was, Hey, listen, he doesn't even want to kick field goals or, or extra points. He just wants to run the football. That's, that's his mentality, you know, play great defense. Don't turn the ball over and let's just run the ball. Okay. Obviously, that that worked back at Notre Dame, but it didn't work in the SEC. And so uh, we 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 changed. You know, we evolved and 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 started doing some things. If you know, listen, I, I tell people all the time: if 
you know, Spurrier and those guys, I mean, I would love to play for a guy like that also because obviously for me, you know, statistically I would have been much higher, you know, with, with having the opportunity to throw the ball more. But, but I, you know what, all I cared about was one stat, and that was winning and losing. That was just the kind of guy, you know, that I am and, and the guy that I was – the guys I was surrounded, you know, by uh, same thing. So, you know, as long as we, you know, we were winning and, you know, and, and winning more than we're losing, then, then I'm okay with that. Um, but we uh, we evolved, and I think the Alabama game was probably a great example. I mean, there were other games that year uh, where, I, you know, we we put up some big yardage my junior senior year. But I think the Alabama game was a great example when Coach kind of turned it over to Skip and said, hey, uh, you know, spread it out and let Phil, you know, let Phil throw it and let him make decisions at the line of scrimmage. And we had a lot of check with me's. We had a lot of lot of stuff that were going on at the line of scrimmage. So, um, which which fit my, my skill set really well. Yeah, not not to jump too far ahead because I want to talk about that Alabama game specifically in a second. But I feel like the perfect summary of what you're talking about is that Alabama game when you go five wide, you hit, I believe it's uh, Andrew Goss down the field. And then literally the, it's five yeah. wide that play. Literally the next play, it's wing T play action. Like I, it's just like two complete <laughs> – I mean, that is literally two completely yeah. different ends of the spectrum yeah. there offensively. Oh, yeah, yeah. He gave – you know, he gave Skip some leeway here and there. But at the end of the day, you know, Coach, when we got inside the – we got inside the 10-yard line where it was a short yardage situation. You know, Coach was – he was wanting to run the football, and, you know, we got in the T formation. That's just – that's what he knew, and that's what he was comfortable with, and that's what we did. Uh, and it was effective at times. You know, there were, there were times where, you know, it was effective. You got to have a really good offensive line, which we did, and, and uh, you know, good running backs, which we did, and and uh, it was effective to a certain extent. Uh, there were times where, you know, maybe you needed to spread it out a little bit more, but um, – Hey, we 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 did both, and uh, that was that was completely coach's call. For sure. So, you specifically, Phil, where would you say you developed, I guess, in your game the most as a quarterback? Because obviously, two thousand, two thousand one were your best seasons. Um, two thousand, you threw for the most yards, but in two thousand one, you were a little bit more uh, accurate as far as completion percentage and threw for more touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would you say specifically your game you were able to develop at and get better at while you're at South Carolina? I think experience, man. I think any quarterback will tell you, um, you know, all the quarterbacks we've had in the past 20 years will probably tell you that, you know, experience is invaluable. Um, you know, just just the more reps, the more live game, full speed reps when the bullets are flying, you know, that's that's invaluable. Uh, you can't coach that. You can't practice that. Uh, and I think just the opportunity to, you know, start for three years and and have that first year tough year under our belt, which we lost a lot of close games, you know, and, and but then to bounce back and do what we did. And I think it was just a, a you know, really just a culmination of all of that. Um, you know, just the more reps, the more, you know, the more teams you play, the more defensive fronts you see, the more blitzes you see, the more coverages you see, because it is a complex game. It's not as, it's not as easy as, as a lot of people think it is. So, um, yeah, I think just I think just the, the reps and uh, you know were invaluable, and I think it just uh, it makes you a better player as you go on. For sure. So let's get into that 2001 season, like I talked about. You guys beat Boise State to open the year, and then the annual yeah. South Carolina Georgia matchup. This time between the Hedges and Athens, which I know is a very intimidating place to play. I mean, I, I think one of the uh, better games you guys as a team played. Obviously, we've all seen the highlight. You roll out, hit uh, hit Brian Scott in the end zone, which was a great play yeah. overall. Great throw by you. Great catch by him, which was the go-ahead score. You, you guys win that game 14-9. to 
I'll ask you because that one thing I remember specifically about that highlight is you're not carried off the field, if you will, but you, you are in some pain after that play. What was greater, the excitement of scoring the touchdown or the pain that you felt after you, after you hit the ground? Yeah, uh, you know, that drive, if you go back and look, that was a low-scoring game, and we both teams really struggled moving the ball. Uh, two very good defenses, two very good teams in a, in a very hostile environment. Uh, we converted three third downs on that last drive, uh, one to Brewer, uh, one long ball to Matt Thomas, and then uh, the jump ball to Brian. Uh, we had a little penetration up the middle. And, you know, I threw it up, and, and Brian went up and made a great catch. He does what great players do. He went up and made a great catch. And uh, my goodness, I mean, it was – I will tell you this. Like, I, I, I tore a ligament in my thumb. <laughs> but uh, as I'm down, I can hear the roar from the right section, you know, the Gamecock session. So, I, I, did, I didn't see him catch it. I just knew he caught it from the sound. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I, didn't, I never saw him catch the ball, to be honest with you. Um, but, uh, what a great drive, uh, three great players making, you know, great catches and, uh, to beat Georgia, Georgia is pretty special. I will tell you that, especially, you know, especially two years in a row, like we did. And, uh, you know, they were highly ranked at the time too, both years, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was a very memorable moment. On that note, Phil, what would you say was the, the most hostile environment that you played in while you were at South Carolina? Oh, man, that's tough. Uh, you know, <laughs> golly, that's tough. Um, you know, Georgia's tough, Florida's tough, Tennessee's tough. Uh, surprisingly, I will tell you this, uh, we played at War Memorial Stadium in Arkansas. Um, which I think they only hold 50-something thousand. I could be wrong. But uh, the old stadium, War Memorial, and it, it is the stands are literally right on top of you. Uh, we, we got beat out there. Uh, we had a field goal get blocked uh, to win the game. We were kicking a field goal to win it. Um, and it got blocked to win the game out there. And I think we were ranked – we were definitely in the top ten. Yep, ninth uh, in the country. Ninth in the country. Yeah, yeah. we were nine and, and, and got beat out there. So – uh, and I'm not just saying that because we got beat, but I'm just telling you, like, that's a hostile – that's a tough place um, just because it is literally right on top of you. I mean, you've got hundreds of thousands of Tennessee, the Florida, the Georgia, which are all tough. It, it, you know, that's the beauty, though. I tell you, the beauty of playing in the SEC is you're playing in front of the biggest crowds, you know, the best crowds, the most hostile environments week in and week out, which is you can't you can't replace that or – with any other conference in America. That's the beauty of the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, I was going to say, it's definitely a tip of the cap to War Memorial Stadium and those fans because that attendance for that game was 53,514, and later that season, <laughs> you guys played in Knoxville, and it was 107,000. So that is, that is certainly yeah. a tip of the cap to those fans, no doubt, absolutely. But no doubt. Um, going back Absolutely. in the season, kind of going backwards, uh, obviously something that was very impactful in 2001, 9-11 happened. The um, yeah. game was moved, obviously, in the wake of the attacks. And you guys, I believe, were the first game to bring college football back. You were at Mississippi State and Starkville. Yeah. You guys win the game 16-14, yeah. to 14, which was obviously a big win because Mississippi State was ranked 17th in the country. But talk about more so, I guess, the emotions of that night because obviously 9-11 was something that shook mm -hmm. everyone across the country. I'm sure there had to be a lot of emotion for you guys being the college football game, I guess, that brought the sport back. I will tell you this: it was there were there was a ton of emotion. 
uh, we canceled the game against Bowling Green, which I think Urban Meyer was at Bowling Green at the time. And then we, you know, we played the Thursday night game in Starkville. And, you know, I, I can tell you as a young person, it was very, very emotional. And, and then I think back now as a father with two children and, <laughs> I mean, it's that that moment was um, very hard to, to to grasp. I mean, it was you know the the realization, the reality of what happened. Um, you know, the, the families that were lost uh, to see what happened. I was sitting in the training room after actually after the Georgia game because I was getting uh, work on my hand and my thumb and everything else, and and I remember seeing it happen with Dr. Rod Walters, and we were sitting there watching on TV and. It, it, I honestly thought I was like, is this 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 isn't real? You know, this this isn't happening. Um, and God bless the family members and and, and families, you know, that, that were lost that day and that still still have loved ones that were lost. But um, that was that was pretty emotional. I ain't gonna lie. You know, we we went out and we 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 had the the huge flag that covered the field in Starkville, and it was you could have heard a pin drop. I can tell you that um, when we took a moment of silence before the game and. Uh, so there were there were a lot of emotions going into that game, absolutely, no doubt. So, like I said, you guys are able to pull out the win, uh, sixteen to fourteen win there. And then the following weekend, you guys take on the Alabama Crimson Tide, um, a team that South Carolina had never beaten before. You guys, you take on those guys at Williams Bryce. Um, you get the win, thirty-seven to thirty-six. But just talk about that game. I mean, a crazy game back and forth. You guys make a. Big time comeback, and as we all know, you drive down the field. We already mentioned you go five wides. I mean, open it up and yeah. then hit Rod Trafford in the end zone for the go-ahead touchdown. I mean, a, a crazy, crazy game, Williams-Bryce. And just talk about, yep. you know, I guess what it means to you being the first team and the first quarterback yeah. in South Carolina to beat Alabama. No, I'm, I'm very honored, and I was very proud of that. I was very proud of my teammates. You know, defensively, they played their tails off. You know, the Alabama had a good scheme coming in that game. With, they were running a little option attack against us, and um, Tyler Watts did a great job executing that offense, and you know, we we were we were in a dogfight, and we knew it. And um, you know, we went in halftime and came back out. And I think before I don't know, I want to say there was six or seven minutes left. I can't remember. And you know, we were down I think 13 points, and um, we you know it's just it's perseverance. I mean, it's guys that you work hard with in the off season, you know, and spring practice and winter workouts and. You, you, you've had a little success, you've won some games, and you just believe. At some point, you just kind of believe, hey, we're going to win. We're going to find a way to win this game. And, you know, Skip opened it up, and he kind of let me do my deal, and the players around me made, you know, great catches, and, you know, the offensive line played their tails off, and then we we were we were able to go down and score twice, and there's, there's, there's not really a better feeling than beating Alabama in that stadium for the first time ever. Um, I can tell you that. Talk about, Phil, the specific – If you're, I'm sure you remember. I don't even want to say if you remember because I feel like quarterbacks remember everything. But the specific yeah. play call and the touchdown, because it's funny, you know, and I, when I think of Rod Trafford, he's not a, he's not a guy that's going to live in South Carolina infamy as far as most catches ever, most receiving yards. But for that specific play, he will his name will never be forgotten. You guys obviously mob him after the play. It was a great scene. Just talk about that specific yeah. play call, that play in general, and just kind of what you remember from that. Yeah, well, again, we got in Coach Holtz's T formation, as you like to refer to, and so we uh, we had a, a play action, you know, uh, fake there, and uh, where really and truly we thought the flat, you know, the flat, the guy going straight out the, from the line of scrimmage into the flat was going to be wide open, 
and he actually wasn't. You know, he was covered, and, and I went back to my second read, and Trafford had a step on his guy, and it was tight. I mean, it was not – you know, he stuck him a little bit and got a little separation, but the guy was on his back, and, you know, I threw it in there, and Trafford made a great catch, and it, it just happened bang, bang. But I can tell you the week in practice uh, leading up to that, every time, you know, we threw the ball in the flat uh, to the running back. Uh, who was who was coming inside out on that first block there in the T formation? So it was uh, not expected, but they 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 double teamed the guy. They jumped in really hard, and Trafford was one on one and made a great move and a great catch. No doubt. So <clears throat> let's jump a little bit ahead, Phil. That season, obviously, you guys again, you like you talked about, suffer a really really tough loss at Arkansas. I mean, you guys outside of one game, which the Florida game, we're gonna get to in a second. I mean, you you were very close, like I said, to winning the SEC East. Absolutely, no doubt that season. I mean. The game at Tennessee, you lose by a touchdown. And, again, that's a hostile environment in Tennessee. This is back when Tennessee under Philip Fulmer was really, you know, tearing up the yeah. SEC. They won the East that year. They were top ten, top five team in the country. Um, but let's yep. jump ahead to that Florida game. And I, I know the game didn't go specifically the way you guys wanted to. But at that point, yeah. I believe that was the the most sold-out game. Or most most people ever attended at Williams-Brice Stadium, which I believe was broke the following against Clemson. But – just under 85,000 people. Obviously, college game day was there. We've all seen the mm-hmm. video of 2001, the, and it just looks like pure, pure pandemonium. And it's one of the great calls, I feel like, and one of the great airings of South Carolina's mm-hmm. entrance. So I guess just talk about, again, I know the game didn't go the way you want. It's kind of ironic that it was Steve Spurrier that laid the, uh, the defeat at the hand of the Gamecocks and came to <laughs> South Carolina. But just what you remember from, I guess, the lead-up to that game, the hype around it, the excitement college game day and then you know running out to 2001 was just a rabid atmosphere around you no it was it was absolutely electric you're 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 absolutely on point it was it was it was one of the greatest scenes we've ever played in in that stadium uh i would say probably top 10 of all time but you know and having game day for the first time we just felt so fortunate but you know we felt like we earned it uh and and they were there and, and but florida was good uh they were really really good and they they showed up and they played and they outplayed us um, at our place, which was disappointing. Um, but they they had some really good players. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and make excuses years later. I mean, they they just had they had they had better players overall than we did, and and they played really well. Um, so you know, the year before we were we were up on you know them down there and blocked a couple of punts, and uh, I think we were up 21 to three the year before, and then. Uh, they came back and beat us, you know, barely down there. But this was uh, this was a game where they were just – they were better, more prepared, and they had better players. And, you know, but the environment, everything was, was, was wonderful. I mean, it was something I'll never forget. Uh, obviously, wish, you know, the outcome would have been a little different. But, um, you know, we played our tails off. They just – they played, you know, lights out that night. For sure. So, Phil, before I get into the Clemson game 2001, which was your senior day, you guys beat the Clemson Tigers – I've talked about a lot of your teammates already, some guys South Carolina fans are very fond of and know of, and I want to mention one more because I can't believe that I forgot to bring up his name when we talked about the 2000 season, and that is Eric Kimry, uh, a friend of our show, the guy we've had on this podcast. We've talked about it to him, but, you know, obviously the fade. You know what I'm going to ask you about. I'm very curious, though, to get your perspective on it because you're on the bench, you're hurt, it's fourth down. You know, and obviously the fade happens. I mean, what's running through your mind? Well, first off, I guess, what was your relationship like with Eric? I imagine it was a really good one. And then just what? I mean, yeah. what's going through your mind? You're like, well, just here we go. I mean, who, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, what are you thinking on the sidelines there? No, yeah, Eric, I love Eric. He's a great guy. He's, 
He's a he's a great head coach there at Hammond right now. But he's he he was a great teammate. We were very good buddies. Uh, helped each other, you know, out all the time uh, with different things. But he's uh, yeah, you know, it's just disappointing. That everybody thinks about him, you know, in that game because <laughs> I played one of my best games ever. But no, he uh, it was it was it was you know when you're hurt in that situation, it's 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 really kind of everything's happening so fast. I don't, I didn't hear the, you know, the conversation with him and coach Holtz and, uh, but I knew Eric was, man, he was, he was, he was, he was qualified. He was ready to go in and, and, and make a throw like that. Um, and, and, and he was a good quarterback. Don't, you know, don't, don't underestimate how good he was because he was a really good player. And um, he came in and just threw a perfect ball to Jamel down the sideline and, I think I re-sprained my ankle <laughs> after the play because <laughs> I was, you know, jumping and running, and it, it really was. I mean, golly, it was uh, it was something special, uh, you know. And then we were, I think we we're four and zero or five and zero after that, something like that. So, um, but no, he came in. You know what? He he's a perfect example of you never know when, you know, your play's coming, and uh, he was ready, and he was. He was prepared, and he went and executed the play perfect. No doubt. So let's move into that 2001 game against Clemson. Phil, obviously, again, your senior day, your last game at Williams-Brice Stadium, um, and you finally get those guys, beat Clemson 20-15 to 15 in front of one of the biggest crowds at Williams-Brice Stadium. Like I mentioned, it broke the record from the week ago or week before. It was 85,000 strong at Williams-Brice. Just talk about, I guess, you know, the emotions of your last game at Williams-Brice and also being able to go out on a winning note against your mm-hmm. arch I can tell you it's hard to put in words. Um, beating those guys uh, meant more to me than beating Ohio State. Uh, it meant more to me than beating Alabama. Uh, it meant more to me than beating Georgia um, because I grew up in the state. And I know the love-hate that exists uh, but in this rivalry, which is a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, without one, you wouldn't have the other. But Winning that game to me was, uh, for me in my career, was kind of the cherry on top. Um, I, you know, I'd, I'd never done it. We should have done it, you know, my junior year at Clemson. Uh, and then we had to push off. But, I mean, winning that game uh, solidified our, our our accomplishments and what we, what we wanted to do at South Carolina while I was there. Um, and they were a good team, don't get me wrong. And they played – hard I mean it's amazing how hard that rivalry is and um, we were fortunate to come out on top but walking off that field uh, beating Clemson was uh, it was uh, yeah it was it was a really real special moment in my career for sure so the 2002 Outback Bowl you're officially your last game at South Carolina Uh, we posted earlier on social media obviously to promote the show kind of the picture of you uh, on your teammates' shoulders, you know, with the uh, with the, with the article, with the headline, if you will, of the newspaper, South Carolina does it again. But that game was very interesting. I mean, you guys, the final score was thirty-one to twenty-eight, but you guys are up twenty-eight to seven going to the fourth quarter, um, mm-hmm. and Ohio State almost makes a comeback there. And it's it's kind of funny. Oh. You were the you were the MVP of that game, but it's kind of funny looking ahead, like you said. I mean, Ohio State wins the national title the next year, which is absolutely insane yeah. when you think about it. But I mean, I imagine for you guys to think, you know, when you found out you're playing Ohio State again um, and you have the opportunity you beat those guys again in what seemed like a pretty crazy game, then you get the MVP again. It just feels like a 
storybook ending to a magnificent career yeah. for you? Well, it, it was. You know, we didn't want it to be that close. Obviously, we, we would like we would like for it to have been a, a little more cushion there at the end. But uh, credit to us, we came out prepared. We executed. We played well. We made some big plays early in the game, some big pass plays, um, and, and we scored a lot of points early. Um, to their credit, you know, uh, they 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 played well in the end, and and so it was it was really close and. Um, it was it was way too close than I wanted to be, but you know at the end of the day, like you said, we got the win against a very talented team. I mean, it, it really is crazy that they won the national championship the next year. We knew they were good. We knew they were very good, and we knew that Coach Trestle was going to do a great job, uh, obviously in recruiting and coaching the whole deal. So uh, they had some great players. Uh, we had good players. You know, we had great players too. And so uh, to, to hold on to get that win. Uh, to be able to walk out of there in Tampa, you know, two years in a row with the most most wins in school history back to back at that point in time um, was something I'll forever be proud and honored to be a part of. For sure. And just a note in that game, I forgot Daniel Weaver actually kicked the game winning field goal as time expired. So that that was a that turned into a very very. Uh, dramatic game but yeah obviously you guys get the win there you in the career kind of switching gears a little bit Phil kind of a fun question for you I mean is there something about I mean should Jake Bentley switch his number to number 14 because I feel like with Phil Petty Connor Shaw there's something about quarterbacks wearing well, 14 at South Carolina that it seems to go pretty well for those guys well I'll say this I you know and I and, I, and I'm a humble guy so know that I mean I and most people that, that know me they understand that and they, they know that but I do think that two of the better quarterbacks ever played here were 14. I will say that, but we we won we won a lot of games. We were fortunate, uh, but I think Jake's got his own. He's got his different. He's got his own story, and I think he's a good kid. I think he's a great player. Uh, he's 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 done a lot of phenomenal things already, um, and I think the, the the players around him are getting better, uh, which any quarterback will tell you. You know that it. it, it may, has an awful lot to do with, with who's who's in front of you, who's behind you, who's outside of you, uh, and then who's playing defense, you know, so forth, so on. So I think that um, that Jake will be – he's going to have a – he's to my opinion, he's primed to have a, a really, really special uh, senior year. And, and I think we're going to surprise some people. You know, everybody talks about how tough our schedule is, but, you know, we play a tough schedule every year. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think Jake's going to be just fine. Yeah, and I definitely want to get your opinion on kind of Will Muschamp and the job he's done. But I want to get back to kind of, you know, obviously your your South Carolina career ends, your college football career ends. I know that you've done a little bit of coaching here and there. You've obviously had your life after football. But immediately after you're done at South Carolina, I mean, what's going through your head? Was there, you know, did you – I mean, obviously I'd imagine you had thoughts of a future in football. Just kind of talk about immediately once your South Carolina career was over, you know, what kind of plan was for Phil Petty, if you will. Yeah, you know, the, I went to Tennessee. You know, I signed with the Titans as a free agent contract, and you know, really the, you know, as I, as I, I'm older now and I, I look back on things, the only regret I really have from a, you know, from a, a sports standpoint, is I wish I would have went to New England. <laughs> you know, I had a uh, Charlie Weiss was the offense coordinator there, and Craig Kelly was my agent, and had it all set up, and but they drafted Rohan Davy out of LSU, and it kind of cheered me a little bit, and I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, and I was just. I wish I would have went to New England. I think that's the one, you know, the one mistake I made um, in terms of my, you know, my life after South Carolina. Um, so, you know, it didn't work out with McNair and 
Neil O'Donnell and Billy Volick, uh, who ended up being the starter, who's a really good player. And that system they were running with the Titans. But, uh, uh, you know, was fortunate, hey, just to get a just get an opportunity, uh, you know, for that. And then uh, got, obviously got into uh, coaching, you know, a uh, year after that. And uh, did that for five, six years, uh, GA at South Carolina. And then was at East Carolina for five years. And, and uh, then decided to change paths again. But uh, was very fortunate to get the opportunities I got. Is that something you think you'll go back in? Obviously, I know you're a family man. You have a family. Is that something you think you'll go back in as far as coaching football? I know it's something where um, it, it does, it's a very big strain on you, man. I know a good friend of ours, friend of the show, Connor Shaw, it's something he talked about and is a reason he's not doing it anymore because it really puts a strain on the family time, spending time with your kids, stuff like that. But, I mean, do you see a future for you as far as uh, maybe being a quarterback's coach, an OC, maybe even a head coach? Is that, is that something that's in the cards for you? Yeah. No, I, listen, I, I, you know, I probably would have had those opportunities. Uh, I did have those opportunities. I mean, I was the youngest quarterback coach in America at one point when I was at East Carolina. And, you know, then I met my wife uh, and then, you know, things just change. And I, I will tell you that, uh, you know, that, 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 that coaching profession is, is, is very hard. Uh, I have a, the utmost amount of respect. Uh, for the guys that do that, because you take an awful lot of time uh, away from anything outside of your job, uh, and that's what those guys do, and they're they're very good at it, and you know, but it's uh, it's hard it, because you're not around your family very much at all, and for me, you know, um, you know, family is very important, and I want to be around my my daughter, I want to be around my son. Uh, they're both ones in gymnastics, ones in t-ball. You know, they're five and eight, so they're getting to that age where, you know, I just – I want to coach from the front yard. I'm not a – I'm not a sideline coach. I'm never going to be their little league coach. But, uh, you know, I don't want to put up with all the other stuff. But I, I certainly will coach them to the best of my ability, you know, here at the house. But I'm thankful that, uh, you know, I'm in a career that allows me to do that. Well, Phil, obviously you're a guy with a wealth of football knowledge. I mean, obviously you watch South Carolina football, but do you ever watch, catch yourself, you know, watching games like breaking down quarterbacks, breaking down the quarterback position? I mean, I imagine something that's just got to kind of kind of come naturally to you, right? It does. You know, it's, I, when I watch games, my wife will tell you, I, you know, we have parties and people come over or we go to their play, whatever. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of in – I'm that guy that's in the room by himself, <laughs> you know, because I – I'm watching a lot of the uh, different parts of the game. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's totally different just because I see the game, you know, so, so different. And uh, so I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely the person that's uh, watching it by myself, if, if, if possible. For sure. So we touched on a little bit, obviously, you know, what Will Muschamp is doing. I'll say, obviously, you, you the success that Steve Spurrier had at South Carolina obviously set up, I think, for what we're seeing with the expectations. And obviously, he changed the program, no doubt. Lou Holtz first changed the program. Steve Spurrier came in and amped that up. And now Will Muschamp is building the program, doing what he's doing. When you look at the program right now, one thing that's funny, the guys that we've talked to, we talked to a lot of different alumni guys that have played. They're very, very pleased and happy with the way that, you know, Will Muschamp has gotten the alumni involved. I'm sure that's something you can speak to as well. But overall, the program that Will Muschamp has built and is building, what is your overall take on the job that he's doing at South Carolina? Well, I can tell you this. He's – Will Muschamp is our guy. Um, fans need to realize that, you know what, it's, it's not about the uh, – it's not about the prize. It's about the process. And it takes time to build a program. You know, I remember when Dabo 
was winning ACC championships, and we were beating them five years in a row, and they wanted to fire him up there at Clemson. Uh, and, and here he is. You know, he's won a couple national championships. So I will tell you this. We, we, we have the right guy. Uh, he's recruiting him, him and his staff recruits their tail off. They coach these kids. They teach these kids. They recruit well. They do all the, the, the things that, that go behind the scenes right. Uh, he's building a very, very solid program. Um, with that being said, we have to understand that. We have to look back at the program he inherited, you know, three years ago, which was not very good. Uh, you know, the cover was almost bare. I mean, there, were, there was not much talent. If you look at you know, the kids that have been drafted over the last three or four years. I mean, there's, it's not the level of talent we've had in the past at South Carolina. And so we got to get back to that level. And we play in a very tough conference in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, but I think Coach Muschamp and his staff are absolutely uh, what we need. Uh, the facilities are right, and they're going to take this program to the next level. Is it crazy when you look at the facilities and look around williams Bryce Stadium, in and outside of williams Bryce Stadium, and think of it when you played there and look at it now? I mean, it has to, it's just a completely different scene out there, right? It absolutely is. Um, obviously, with the, the, the new facility we just built is, is a game changer, uh, in my opinion. But you know what? We needed it. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of programs in America have it, and we didn't have it. And um, – so now I think it's it's even, you know, grounds for recruiting. I think young kids come in and they see what we have. They see what we have to offer. They see the resources we have, the people we have, uh, the culture that we have, and they want to be a Gamecock. And that's <laughs> – you can't replace that. You know, that's that's something that we needed, and I think we have that now. For sure. Phil, when you look back on your career, obviously tons of big wins, big bowl wins, the win over Clemson. There's, there's so many good memories from your career. What would you say, if you had to narrow it down to one, what would you say was the best memory uh, during your time in Garnet and Black? Mm, that is tough. Um, mm, you know, for me, beating, beating Clemson at home my senior year uh, was absolutely the best feeling I have walk, ever had walking off a football field. Um, yeah, it'd be beating Clemson. I mean, we, you know, beating Ohio State was great. Um, you know, beating Alabama for the first time was great. You know, beating Georgia two years in a row was great. Uh, but I think just beating Clemson at home, uh, given what had happened the year before when we should have won the game, uh, we really got robbed at that game. But um, yeah, I think just, you know, the uh, – the moment and, and then what was at stake for that game, I think, was probably the biggest win. No doubt. So, last question, Phil, I'm going to get you out of here. You, you don't have to do the impression, even though I'd love to hear it, because Andy Boyd we had on a couple of weeks ago, his Lou Holtz impression was pretty darn good. I'm not going to lie. But I guess the what what is the funniest Lou Holtz story you have that you can tell on the airwaves? You don't Again, you don't have to do the impression, though I would love to hear it, but – what what was the best moment or funniest moment you had under Coach Holt while you were there? Oh no, I mean there were so many. Honestly, I, I, I there were you know when you're when you're around him day in and day out for you know for three years uh, as a as a starting quarterback, and then you're you know you're with him for another year as a graduate assistant. There's so many memories and one-liners. I, it's it's really hard to say. I mean he had he had so many and. I'm not going to impersonate him on this one. I'm just, I'm just going to let it go. But uh, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. But I'll, 
I'll let Kimry and those guys that, that are that are yeah they're good at it also. So I'll let them do that. But uh, a lot of a lot of great memories. I mean, I think you know the one year after our 0-11 season where you know he he basically told me that you know he would find me a good home <laughs> in spring practice. You know, don't worry. I'm going to find you a good home. You know, with uh, you know, you can transfer. We'll find you a good home. I just need you to get me through spring practice. <laughs> you know, so one of those, one of those deals. Just get me through spring practice. We're going to find you a home for the fall. You know, one of those deals. And uh, it, it was like that every day, though, man. I could, I could tell you a ton of them, but uh, I'm not going to get into it. All right. Well, perfect. Hey, Phil, appreciate you taking the time, man. Would love to talk ball with you again. And I, I think I can speak from all Gamecock Nation when I say uh, really appreciate your toughness, grittiness, and, you know, just going out there and being a winner and doing what you did in Garnet and Black. I know it means a lot to a lot of people. So appreciate you taking the time, man. Let's uh, let's do it again sometime soon, no doubt. Hey, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Absolutely. So for Phil Petty, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. time inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply